Today's show is brought to you by Airtable, the all-in-one collaboration platform. Modern creative teams are pulled in a thousand directions. Maintaining a functional project plan is hard. Wrangling designers and writers, copy edits and clients, all on deadline, can get messy fast. Most collaboration tools aren't made for creatives and creative projects, but Airtable is. Airtable makes it easy to organize stuff, people, ideas, anything you can imagine. That's why leading creative teams at places like Experience Design Agency Huge, Product Development Agency Planetary, and retail brand United Colors of Benetton use Airtable. It's flexible enough to adapt to your process, but powerful enough to keep everything on schedule and let creative people be creative. Visit Airtable.com glossy today to get $50 in free credits. Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host and Glossy Managing Editor, Hilary Milnes, and joining me today is Roddy Levesque, the Chief Merchant at 3 All Real. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. So you were Jolie's, Jolie Wainwright, the founder of 3 All Real, her first employee. So what were you doing at the time? How did she pitch you? That was seven years ago now. Seven years ago, 2011, um, I had a clothing boutique in San Francisco. We had um, consignment in the back of the store. Um, Julie and I met through mutual friends. And, um, you know, she had this idea that I thought was brilliant because I, what I was seeing at my store was I was seeing people going directly to the back of the store and spending more on consignment that they were on new clothes. And even though it was priced higher, right? So it was like Dior from 2002 priced at like, almost a thousand dollars that people would go directly to purchase. Um, so, and I knew Julie's background and, um, you know, the, the full vision, um, that she saw and how this was going to come together and really believed in it and, um, was excited to work with her. So two weeks later, actually I closed my store down and we were working out of her house. So like a (laughs) true startup story. (laughs) Yeah. So how do you even, how did you translate what you were doing on the boutique side to a digital, marketplace for for consignment I'm sure there were some similarities but what was that undertaking like for you yeah I mean we had an e-commerce site in when I was running my small store at the time as well so you know at the the back end's all the same right it's very similar your copy um, your price you know publishing your product the photography the editing and then doing it on scale for thousands and thousands of items right what was the, what was like the did you have like one moment where you were like, oh, wow, like <laughs> this is going to be pretty big? Yes, I will never forget that moment. Um, you know, you you always hope and you have you, your intuition tells you that this is going to be big. Mm-hmm. But when I actually when that was actually confirmed was a few weeks later, we had finally moved out of Julie's home and into a warehouse space. It was kind of like a strip mall in San Rafael for those people that know that in Marin County and, um, and someone called to ask us what the resale value is of a Chanel bag. They were deciding between, um, uh, two different versions. I can't remember the exact style the exact items at the time. And they wanted to know what we would resell it for because that's how they were going to make, um, their decision on the purchase in their primary market. 
So it's it's preceding the 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 purchase decision. You know, we always hear like a handbag can be a better investment than real estate. So yeah. <laughs> it's an important Could business. Be true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so and as you're sort of digesting this, all of this that's happening, and it's such a big platform. Uh, you know, so many different people and products coming in all the time. As the chief merchant, like, what role did you like have looking at? customer data like how did you sort of make that like customer portfolio and on such a broader scale than than just one boutique yeah so I mean at the beginning it's just intuition mm-hmm. right you don't have um, a lot of um, data at your finger tips like we do now we've mm-hmm. got tons of data and it's amazing but and it was always built in driving to be able to like process it right yeah for sure I mean that the scale piece mm-hmm. definitely and the flexibility in you know creating the kind of um, back-end system so that we can pull the taxons and things like that. But at the beginning, it really was, um, you know, the, the revenue, right? So th- this item, this type of item or this type of clicks on an email is doing really well for us. And so we're going to push it more. So it was, it was very basic, right? right? And um, now it's, you know, whole new level. It's segmenting, it's personalization, it's categories, mm-hmm. um, it's taxons and mm-hmm. go on and on. Right. <laughs> and as it gets more advanced and more involved, how does that affect your your job? Yeah, so there's more layers. Um, so, you know, it's just about adding um, really strong, like, management and director level teams um, underneath. And so wh- as we started to grow um, merchandising or I took on um, all the categories. So you've got women's, men's, fine jewelry, watches, art and home, um, a lot of the customer experience. So the, co- the call center also reports into merchandising, the brand and creative. So all, everything you see on the site, all the visuals, mm-hmm. the planning department, the pricing algorithms. You know, um, right now we have um, an algorithm that spits out a price. You know, we've sold over 9 million items at this point. Right, so, um, knows. so it te- it knows what the optimal price is based on the demand. And then what the merchants do is QC that to make sure that, you know, hey, this is a, this is an item with larger sleeves and that's on trend right now. So we're going to price that 30% higher or mm-hmm. Phoebe Philo just left Celine and, you know, there's going to be collectors wanting to purchase that piece. So that's, we'll price that higher. So there's that kind of balance happening as well. Right. Um, as well as, as we started to open stores, all of retail, um, and um, the experts as well. So we have over 90 gemologists and watchmakers and fashion historians and curators. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I'm sure that all leads up to just building that customer trust. I'm sure at the beginning, people are like, what is that? Like, how do yeah. you establish or how did your role help establish the real real as like a trusted place where people would, you know, send in and, and buy these high price items? So I think through education, I think that was, you know, our main component. So on the, um, we call them the product detail pages, really listing out why, what this item is and why it's important, what the history of the item is. If it's a piece of jewelry or watch calling out everything, right? The carrot, the clarity, the weight, all of those things. Um, and then pr- pricing things at a fair market value mm-hmm. um, so that they are moving to sell in, in 30 days. So, so telling, saying that to the consigner, but also keeping that promise. Um, and then, you know, the authenticity, making sure that everything that we get in and gets listed on the site is in fact the real deal. Right. And, and do you think at the time when the, when the company was launched and just getting started, people were primed to be more receptive to, a, to an online only marketplace like that? 
like how did you how did you sort of just introduce Three Row as its own brand into the market? Yeah, I think that um, they were there was something that was happening around the consumer shift where people were craving um, that kind of um, luxury at an accessible price and authentic, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you have the uh, peer-to-peer marketplaces where you can't always guarantee authenticity because you can't see the item. Mm-hmm. So that was, um, that was you know, big for us and that we knew that that had to be the core um, to everything we, we did. Mm-hmm. And I think the customer trust is so important because in the world of consignment retail it's you're working on this limited inventory of what's in people's closets and so yeah. if there if there are competitors that come up and any kind of offering a, sim- a similar value proposition you're you're competing over the same inventory so how did you work as the chief merchant like how did you make sure that real world had the best assortment the best customer data to respond to that and you know, how do you, how do you work within that limited inventory pool and make sure you're getting the best yeah. secondhand? I mean, you know, first of all, it's being competitive. Mm-hmm. So making sure at the end of the day, we're, we are paying the consigner more. We're always doing competitive analysis to make sure that that is the case, but we do pay up to two times more. Um, that's really important for us mm-hmm. um, as, as a business, um, making sure that consigner experience is flawless. We have luxury managers that come into people's homes and um, just making sure that they come in, they're taking it away and it's one, two, three. It's really quick. It's really easy for the consigner. And then the consigner being able to um, watch and give them complete transparency over all the transactions. Mm -hmm. So when the item sold, what item it sold for, if there were any discounts, why, here's what we're going to list the price, list the item for. And here's why, you know, uh, maybe we have a piece of uh, a watch and it was supposed to be listed at $5,000. But when we, upon further inspection, we're actually going to price it at $3,000 because the condition is not like we thought it was going to be. But just having that dialect and that conversation being completely transparent Mm -hmm. about it, because at the end of the day, we earn more, um, you know, we make more as a company if we price the, if we price the item higher Mm -hmm. and the consigner is, it understands that as well. Right. Um, so it's in both of our best interests. Right. And for, for the, the pay for the consigner, is that, is that a standard rate? Like what, what type is that? Yeah, it depends on the item. Mm-hmm. So the more you sell, the more you earn. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the loyalty uh, program baked into the model. Um, you know, depends on what the item is. Something like a Birkin bag, you'll get up to 80% on your handbag. Rolex watches, up to 80% as well. Something that's more contemporary or under $200, um, the commission is a little bit lower than that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an interesting business because you have to be courting the consigners and the customer at the same time. Mm-hmm. So how do you divide your attention that way between those two? You know, we really are, are both are really important for us. Um, and at the end of the day, it's a marketplace. So a lot of things overlap, but we really do stay focused on product and mm-hmm. product is king for us. And, you know, you asked about how we are merchandising and making sure that we get the best product. We are um, always putting forth the best product. That's the be- that's the stuff that's coming from the consigners. Um, that's the stuff that they'll own. Uh, they'll earn a better commission on. Um, but it's, we always stay focused on, um, the consigner. And I think that's one of the things that's kept us maybe a little bit different from the other models. Um, you know, people tend to, uh, worry about, um, to worry about demand and Mm -hmm. selling the item and their revenue numbers. And we're always thinking about, how do we bring in more supply and what does that look like for our Mm -hmm. business? Because if the right supply comes in, you have to assume the customer will come. 
So you also have an, an, a distinct vantage point on what's trending, like the brands and the styles and the products. And so what's your relationship with, with the brands like? I, I feel like there's been some contention between luxury brands especially and the online resale marketplaces. So how have you sort of handled that, that relationship and tried to position the real real as an ally to those brands? Yeah, so I think that, you know, at the beginning it was a little bit harder. And what I'm seeing is a, a shift there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we just, you know, we did a partnership with Neiman's in the past. Um, we are doing one with Stella McCartney right now. Mm-hmm. We um, survey our base pretty regularly. And what we're finding time and time again and 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 more and it's a, always a bigger uh, percentage is that people are taking that money that they're earning with us and spending it back into the primary market. Right. So they're not spend spending it with us. They're right. spend they're taking it and going back into Chanel, back into Louis Vuitton, back into and buying the next or updated version of mm-hmm. that. Um, and if they wa- if they see something at um, Gucci that they really want the new the new fanny pack or whatever it is, they're looking in their closet to see what they can sell so they can actually feel less guilty or right. afford right. that bag. So um, that's been a big shift for us. And Stell McCartney definitely realizes that. And um, the partnership's been going really well. If you can sign any Stella McCartney item with us, we'll give you a $100 gift card to go back into Stella McCartney and make a purchase. So driving... Um, traffic back into their stores. Right. And that's where the sustainability angle comes yeah. in because it's more, it's better for, for the overall environment. If you're buying, if you're, you know, taking what's in your closet and not just buying, buying, buying for consumption stake. So is that part of the real world positioning as, as you guys have grown the brand, um, you know, as it's, as its own? Yeah, that's always been in our DNA. We were careful not to go too much in that direction at the beginning um, because it was, we wanted, again, the product and the value and um, to kind of come forward and the authentication that we thought that those were our core messages. Um, but the sustainability is is icing on the cake, right? It's just in our DNA. Um, you're uh, extending the life cycle of a luxury good. Mm-hmm. And whether or not you buy that good for a must or not, if you bring it into a store, for example, we'll help you get it refurbished. We'll help, it get re- we'll help you repair your watch. So um, the sustainability piece is really important um, to who we are, for sure. Today's sponsor is Airtable, the all-in-one collaboration platform. The creative world is constantly evolving, and to keep up, you need a tool that's flexible enough to adapt to your process, but powerful enough to keep everybody on the same page. Airtable is modern software. Its fields can handle any content you throw at them. Add attachments, long text notes, check boxes, links to records and other tables, even barcodes. Whatever you need to stay organized. That's why when the team at WeWork needed a tool to manage their entire creative process from ideation to content creation, they turned to Airtable. Airtable empowers you to do your work your way. Try it today. Just head to Airtable.com slash glossy to receive $50 in free credits. And so as you're going into stores, that's that's a new element of the business. How do you, from an inventory perspective, take this this massive marketplace and figure out a store strategy that, that makes sense? Yeah. Um, and you have a store... You had a pop-up store, and right here in Soho, was that the first, the first f- 
move into on physical retail? Yeah. So even before that, we were opening luxury consignment offices. So we have 10 across the U.S. for, for luxury consignment. What that is, is you can bring in a piece of jewelry or a watch or a handbag and get a free appraisal, meet with a gemologist. I don't know if you've ever sold a piece of jewelry before, but you usually go to a pawn, ch- pawn shop and you make a few cents on the dollar and it can be kind of a shady experience. Right. <laughs> um, and this is taking all of that away and saying, here's your appraisal. Here it is in writing and we stand behind this offer and this guarantee, mm-hmm. go home and you, it can be you know, a very personal decision and take this home and think about it and it still applies for 30 days. So that was our first um, kind of uh, forte into, um, into retail. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we tested a pop-up last year, um, our last uh, holiday season, the year before last actually in, in um, New York, did really well for us. We decided to make that permanent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll be opening multiple stores after what you're going to see is that the luxury consignment offices will start turning into uh, stores full blown. Um, you know, we think about it as like the new department store, right? Where you can buy and consign, um, and then as to answer your second question about how we're thinking about the experience and how we're taking it online, again, the, you know, the, the, the core foundation of um, experts and resale value and sustainability um, is all how, you know, all moved into the retail location. So, you know, as far as brand awareness goes, it was really important for a um, customer to be able to see and touch and feel the secondhand item. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Because you're not all, you don't always know what you're getting and what good condition c- means to you could mean something very differently to me. Right. So it's like, let's all get on the same standards of what um, this looks like and what our condition standards mean. Mm-hmm. So um, that was one piece of it. We don't have salespeople running the show. We have our experts running the show. So they're not interested. You know, of course, we've got revenue numbers and goals to meet, but they're not um, just focused on selling. They're actually focused on the educational component. So if someone comes in um, and they are interested in a piece of jewelry, it's not just this looks great on you or um, this dress looks great on you. It's you should buy that because if when you're done with it next season, you could actually make 60% of it back. Mm-hmm. So it becomes more of that um, engagement and that conversation um, of extending the, lo- the life cycle of luxury right. good. How do you decide how to uh, stock that store? When you have such massive inventory, what goes into a limited space? Yeah, so um, you know the merchandising, um, the same, the same kind of stories we're telling online, we're telling in the store. So whatever that season is, um, you know, for uh, June, it's all about collecting and um, lifestyle and um, surrounding your things about uh, surrounding your uh, yourself with all the things that you love, right? So then we're using those stories um, to kind of. Uh, guide us in what kind of inventory we're going to put in the store. Um, Mm -hmm. It's also, um, it's, you know, it's usually some of our um, best things. It's higher, um, a higher value because we find that people um, are more interested in the higher value items. And um, so those two things really are telling us like how to um, stock the store as well as our customers, right? If you're in New York and you've obsessed over something, um, we can actually send it to the location in New York and have you come there if you want to see it first before you actually 
make that purchase. Right. And so what, what's the advantage that, that The Real Real has compared to a traditional physical boutique network? Like we watched stores like Second Time Around get struggle to, to adapt to the new retail landscape and they've been closing locations. So as you have the advantage of the business that's been built over the past seven years, as you start to move into physical retail, what, what unique vantage point do you think you have that a former, more traditional store network didn't? Yeah, I think, you know, like I said, we're opening... Um, a lot of it has to do with brand awareness. Um, the other thing is around um, making sure that um, we're thinking about our customer and consigner and the the drop the drop off piece, right, is really important for us. Um, that I think those those couple of things, and again, the experts leading. So again, not the salespeople. So all of those things and that full package, I think, is really important. Um, we're seeing that the halo effect, so the New York market's going faster than our overall business once we do open a store. So it's not that we have to open a store. It's um, more that we're doing it for um, we're doing it for awareness, and it's kind of the next um, stop for us. And then just staying organic to who we are and our values um, is really important right so you know again not just by not having the salespeople and not just worried about the dollars per square foot and um, looking at things in, an, in a different way I think will give us a different vantage point mm-hmm. and and yeah w- before the store networks kind of come in and lift that overall market that's in that area how do you reach out to customers and consigners uh, and, and grow that base especially now that it's becoming a more mature business um, and the online resale marketplace overall is maturing. Yeah, um, you know, so it's a combination of things. I mean, we have a great marketing team who's always testing new things. We have um, digital, we have um, social, a really healthy social piece. Um, We're testing TV right now. That's going really well. Podcasts, you know, it's just kind of um, looking at everything um, and figuring out how to optimize and then personalizing that experience um, by age segment even and by and by region um, for the store specifically you know it's bringing people into the stores that are already familiar with our brand you know so it, it's a combination of that so I'd say about 60% of our traffic is new to our brand um, when we open a store so you've got a lot of foot traffic happening and then you're also bringing in our customers again through so like I said you can you we know if you've obsessed over something um, in the on, online so we can send you back into the store Right. Uh, to look at that. Yeah. And, and overall, what do you think that the future of, it's like the alternate retail models, like like the real, real companies like Rent the Runway, Stitch Fix, where you have subscription, rentals, resale. How do you see these companies acting as a almost a combined force going forward? So whenever people think of a purchase, you know, are you going to go to a department store or are you going to explore all these options that you now have? Uh where do you see the real world playing a role in that going forward? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's room for a lot of that. Right. And I think that people are seeing things. Um, they're not, they're not looking at things like I'm going to purchase it and then, um, you you know, hand, I'm going to have this forever Mm -hmm. anymore. And it really is around like this rotating closet and, um, uh, a temporary ownership that's happening. So I think that that's, um, you're going to see that, um, more and more. And I think it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how, um, brands kind of change with that time, um, and, and move forward in that way. Yeah. You mentioned you have a partnership with Stella McCartney, like the brands that have been most receptive to 
evolving with this new model or this new mindset around ownership and, and what it means to to buy and, and transition your closet. Uh, do you think, what do you think, like, how do you make sense of like, the brands that have been more resistant and the brands that haven't been? And you, where do you see them going forward? Yeah, I think that that's another thing that I, um, I think that you'll see another shift, a behavior shift there as well. I think that um, people are, um, or designers specifically, are starting to see that it's not going to go away. The resale market won't go away and it's how can we work together. Um, and the the people that are, I would say, there's a lot of brands who are very progressive in how they're thinking about it um, and they're seeing that um, it's actually adding value to their goods in the primary because they're able to price it sometimes maybe even a little bit higher if you're going to if you can make 80% of it back you right. know what does that look like right that's interesting and, and do you think that that the sheer definition of luxury is changing along with all of that um, I don't I don't think so I think that people I think that uh, the consumer is now understanding their power mm -hmm. and I think that they are voting with their dollars and they're being more purposeful in their and more mindful in their decisions so with that they are um, they have great expectations which is powerful and mm -hmm. awesome I think you know and I think you'll see brands starting to um, respond to that conversation and you know w w everyone is looking at data and that's what that that's what we're seeing right that they care about sustainability mm -hmm. they care about quality they they actually won't they don't mind spending a little bit more for something if the quality is there mm -hmm. so um, yeah I think that it's just it it will feel like I think you'll see brands starting to get more creative in how they give that to the consumer right and and as far as what performs uh, on the real world, it seems like it's, you know, the, the traditional brands, the luxury brands that have been around for a long time, these really like heritage pieces that people have always wanted to invest in and will continue to want to invest in. It seems like that's almost at odds with this other narrative we hear coming from modern brands that are saying, oh, the new luxury is, you know, paying a certain price without the markup. But I'm imagining that if you're, do you think that time still plays a big role in what's considered luxury or just like the longevity of a brand, a name brand and a product uh, rather than this modern, more trendy narrative that we're since brand storytelling that we're hearing all the time. Are you? Do you mean we with resale value specifically? Right. Or just yeah. I think we're seeing um, both. You mm -hmm. know, I think that the heritage brands always have a place, and there's these really big stories that stand behind them, and. Um, it, it just kind of depends, you know, um, and I think you'll see, like, for example, I'd say when we, uh, three, four years ago, Manolos were really hard for us to sell. And now, you know, they are, they're more on trend. They're a classic shoe. People are responding to the classic and the heritage brands again, because I think that there is so much noise out there and the trends are, uh, you know, there's so everything's starting to look the same that people are valuing the the heritage of a brand. But then there's also this thing happening around direct to consumer brands, right? And that that relationship and that engagement, that community ha that is happening there too. So we see the resale value actually quite high for those brands um, as well. Oh, really? And so um, I think what's interesting is you know what brands are 
perform well, what don't quarter over quarter. You know, we are seeing, I was just telling someone this the other day because they were talking about how, you know, everything's very minimal right now. And uh, and we're actually seeing the opposite in our data. We're seeing things, we call it logomania. Like we're seeing that those pieces in that streetwear and the Yeezy and the, all of that stuff making a comeback and doing really well for us. Um, whereas a couple years ago, it was all about like the Celine Phantom simple mm-hmm. bag. So, you know, with Gucci coming on, I think maybe you're seeing more of the maximalism. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so basically you can like look in ahead to the future and see what things are taking off and what, what aren't. Um, and so what do you think, what's resonating right now, especially with the younger customer sex? I feel like all of these brands are wondering how to appeal to millennials, how to reach that new generation of, of luxury shoppers. I think that's especially where streetwear comes in. Yeah. And I feel like they can look to, to the real world as a source for, for that data. Yeah. So, um, you know, Gucci right now is our number one search term. You, is um, it going to ever end? <laughs> there has to be know. a bubble. <laughs> well, it was, it'll be interesting to watch that. I think, you know, before that it was Chanel and Louis Vuitton and Hermes. So it's definitely moved up. It's mm-hmm. slowly moved its way up. And we publish a, a luxury resale report actually twice a year um, where we uh, give that information around like what's trending trending up and what's trending down a little bit. So a little teaser into that or things like that that we're finding. Um, And what's always surprising is that um, the younger group base, which you wouldn't think is, uh, it is uh, going towards the heritage brands too. So they do like the Chanel, the actually the Rolex, you know, there's those pieces that are happening where it's a graduation gift and they're buying it um, on the real real because it's less than you would find it in the stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's this collector's mentality happening around sneakers and men's sneakers that you're seeing too. Right. And it's so, so as you're watching all of this, does that, it, is it, does it make your job harder to not have that control over what's really coming in? And as you're seeing, you can see the trends evolving and, and what's doing well, and what's not, but you can only work with the things that consigners are, are giving you. So how do you, make control out of a situation where you're you're a little bit more hands-off than a traditional retailer would be so we have more control than i think you would think and it's because um we have a an amazing sales team out there right and they're in people's homes um telling people what their resale value is what we're doing is we are giving that information to our sales team and they're also incentivized to bring in the pieces that we know sell well and are on trend so they're always looking for those things and then they're able to give the consigner the the most dynamic and up-to-date information on what that resale value looks like right so if like you know um someone buys a pair of yeezys they're too small you need to sell those now because you can get actually close to what you paid for them yeah um and that conversation is happening every day and so I think we're almost out of time, but just to wrap up, you mentioned as you're opening more stores, it's almost this new department store because you can shop multiple brands and you're getting the the, the minute trends. And so I, where do you see the real world kind of positioning itself as we're watching traditional department stores kind of struggle? Like you mentioned like that advantage, uh, looking at what's doing well and where con- customers and consigners are shifting how do you see that giving you the power to succeed in a, you know, the Amazon era, the digital online retail era where other traditional retailers have, have kind of faltered? 
Yeah, I think that, um, you know, traditional retailers aren't going to go away. I think that they'll be able to either move along with the time and get creative and engage their customer, engage their customer, or they won't. And um, for us, I think, you know, you're going to see more direct to consumer brands out there and then and then consigning with the real real. So I think that's like your, your, um, your choices as Mm -hmm. a consumer will start to, to be those couple of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, great. If you were to, you know, look, look ahead at the rest of the year, what are, what are you most excited about trend wise? What, what brands do we have to watch out for? Oh, well, I look into your looking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The luxury report is coming out soon. So you'll be excited to see that. Um, I think that you're going to see, um, again, the heritage brands really picking up the consumer, the direct to consumer brands, um, being big as well. Um, Gucci's going to continue to be on the up and up. Um, and some of the smaller brands that, you know, like the, um, that, that are just that again, the direct to consumer ones, I think are going to make, um, huge waves, um, into resale. Right. And, and I think for you guys, what about, um, is this, do you think that resale and consignment is a more American habit? Like how do you sort of take it outside of the U S? Um, you know, I don't think so. I think that people have been doing this for years and years and years. And I think now we're just talking about it and Mm -hmm. you know it's it's become more of the culture we were just talking about how I heard someone the other day said you know you should buy that and just real real it after and it's becoming more of a verb like google you know and so I think that that's um that conversation is starting to happen and uh I think that culturally you're going to see a shift again because there's secondhand stores everywhere um and people are do care about the environment and are uh, wanting to be resourceful. Um, so that's, uh, that's something that is going to be, um, you know, even more powerful and more prominent as mm-hmm. we go on. Great. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks, thanks so much. Thanks for coming in and thank you for listening. A special thanks to Aditi Songo, the producer of this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode. And in the meantime, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have. 